0: Welcome to Listen Up America, a show about the truth, opinions, and thinking. A constitutional, conservative podcast in a world of woke cancel culture. We are the resistance. Coming to you from the LUA podcast studios, I'm your host, Eric, and this is Listen Up America. COVID time. Don't touch me, I'm sterile. Well, they're at it again. You know, my two biggest dogs in the hunt are going after the mask nonsense and going after the origin nonsense. And what happens this week? Oh, once again, Eric in his intellectual acuity and his common sense went one plus one is still two. And the world is starting to go, Eric was right. So let's play this clip from Senator Rand Paul sitting down in the uh, Senate chamber with the fraud Fauci concerning mask wearing after getting the vaccination.
1: What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine, it doesn't exist. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. Oh. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward.
2: Masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we, we have immunity
1: people. there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any sign.
0: I totally disagree with you. That was from just over a month ago. Okay. So we're going to put some time clips in here to give you the science, therefore consistency of the fraud Fauci on where he goes with this over the last year and a half. Okay. So you have to keep in mind, Senator Rand Paul common sense and an actual practicing physician has a PhD in everything actually sees patients and applied Eric's two rules, intellectual acuity, common sense to ask a very simple question to a very complicated idiot. So now you got Fauci. He goes on CBS back on March 8th of 2020. And he says this, Everything I've been saying since the beginning is what he said in the beginning because it was common sense. I was right. This coronavirus was not the first ever. Okay. We've had this in the history of humanity forever. And this clown has been doing this supposedly for like 50 years or something. So he knows, based on historical data, what he just said was very legitimate, very true and very scientific, based on that time. But then it got political. We all know it. Who knows why? You know, the flip-flop. Trump was liking him, then he hated him. Then we're all like, wait, last week you said this, this week you're saying the opposite, the next week you're saying back to this, the next week you're saying that. He was bouncing around more than a yo-yo going up and down at a world championship. It was just incredible. He was like, make up your mind. The world is supposedly listening to this goof, And a goof can't stick to anything. And that's what just drove me nuts. And I think that's what drove us all nuts. That's why 70% of this country is like, take your vaccination, turn that bitch sideways and shove it straight up your candy ass. Sorry, I had to drop some rock in there. I just, sometimes you just have to. But we sit here and we bang our head against the wall with what's going to happen today? What are they going to change their mind about today? And they do. But the politics of it all. What was going on? We need you to change your tone. Who told him to do that? I'm assuming somebody did. Because a scientist that is so smart as this guy sticks to science. And then all of a sudden now he's, you know, it's politically convenient stuff. Now remember, he's a part, you know, as the head guy, he sent a bunch of money with NIH. You got to look it up. And he sends that money, our money, our taxpayer collected money, to labs across the globe. And we did send money, millions upon millions to China. In particular, one class four lab in Wuhan that we knew before all of this was going on that they were playing with bats and coronaviruses. I told you about the the leaked memo last week. I've told you about how the wet market and how everybody's looking back and there's more stuff coming. I got more. Don't worry. I always have more. But what came up? If you don't do what we want you to say, we'll expose you for what you've been doing and your involvement in this whole process by trusting buffoons in China. I don't know. But is it something to consider? Just as a debate point, is it possible that Fauci was being manipulated and played and used as political pawn because he made mistakes. People make mistakes. Is it possible? That's all I'm asking, and that's all I'm saying. Through this, Fauci defended the National Institute of Health. That's the NIH, by the way. Controversial funding of bat coronavirus research in Wuhan, and that was just last week. Claiming it would have been almost a dereliction of duty, that's a quote, not to assist Chinese researchers in studying the pathogens. Now, we went over the leaked memo last week, remember? So the leaked memo talked about how the military and everyone was involved in trying to weaponize. We sent them money to help them do this. With apparently no supervision, we just said, here, take the money, make something to kill us all. That's the dereliction of duty. How about the idiot that gave him the money? That's the dereliction of duty. Who gives somebody money and says, go play with the devil and see what happens? What are you gonna do, Dr. Fauci? Uh, I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna sit quietly and I'm gonna tell people what to do and not to do, and what to do and not to do, while you guys are doing your (laughs) Dr. Evil thing. It's astounding. When you look at this, and condense it, take out all the minutiae, and just condense it to what was said, what we know, what went on, and they're going, wait, we paid them? Oh, yeah, and we didn't supervise it? Oh, no! That's the American way, peeps. Does the Iran nuclear deal ring a bell? Here, take a bunch of money. Is anyone going to go check those places? No, they're not going to let us in. But why do we give them all the money? So they won't make nukes, but they're making, like, high-grade uranium, and they're, yeah. So that means you're making a bomb, you idiot. I just, it's the same thing. This is the way our government rolls. This is just the way it is. Dereliction of duty. That is a really interesting phrase. The entire government is derelict in their duty because they all just want power and get rich. And this clown is no different. So then it shifts to the media. This was not a Fox News or Blaze or News. This is not a conservative reporter. This guy asked, Saki, a question. And then I'm going to lay it, play out, and then I'm going to hit you with some more information. OK, Play the clip.
3: Okay, um, follow-up on the, the China the Wuhan question. can you just give us a sense of the White House's view of that report that The Wall Street Journal cited? Is it accurate? And is, are, are you, do you have any concerns that it may have been politicized?
1: I would say, uh, in terms of the report, which was specifically about individuals being hospitalized, we have no means of confirming that or denying that. I mean, it's not a report from the United States. What I was conveying in response to Peter's question is that it doesn't mean we can draw a conclusion. We don't have enough information to draw a conclusion about the origins. There is a need to look into a range of, of options. We need data. We need an independent investigation. And that's exactly what we've been calling for.
3: I think the journal cited a U.S. intelligence report,
0: so that would have been a U.S. report.
1: Well, I don't have, any, I don't have anything more on a U.S. intelligence report from
0: here. So there's a whole lot to wrap there from the Red Devil. That would be sacking. Circle back. Last week I told you all, in my common sense spiel about Wuhan, they said, well, nobody got sick. Nobody knows nothing about nothing. And I was like, well, how do you know that the people that they're giving you these test results on were actually in the lab and so forth? And then the Wall Street Journal cites an article back in November 2019, an U.S. intelligence report. Now remember, the State Department was holding a memo that said all this and never gave it to Trump. They just sat there at the CIA. Just sat there and tell someone, like, on the inside, like they usually do, let it out to a friend in the media and things kind of trickle in eventually. You think it's a conspiracy, and it is. It You know, it is, but it's not coming from me. The government is playing so many games, it makes your head spin. You've really got to pay attention and as I said, condense it. Listen to, it's like they say one thing and then you surround it with a bunch of gobbledygook. That's why Biden can't put a sentence together anymore. You just listen to the word in the middle, the next crisis. I mean, I mean, vaccine. Remember? So we're listening to this goof. Wall Street Journal gives this report based on a U.S., intelligence report, and the red devil there goes, ah, we don't know anything about it. We can't speak on it. You have a report that tells you all this. So you actually can speak on it. You just choose not to. Totally different. It's so bad that now Fauci is literally saying that he is not convinced that COVID evolved naturally. Really. Well, welcome to the party, pal, because next week you're going to say it came from a monkey's butt. But here we are. It makes no sense. Just process for a second. It's like saying, hey, cholera just jumped out of McDonald's, just randomly just jumped out of this one McDonald's kitchen, you know, because the burgers and the, and the fries and stuff, because, you know, we don't know. It just happened. It had nothing to do with them not cleaning anything. No. Not following proper procedures. No. It had nothing to do with that. It's always something else's fault. It's never the people's fault. Trust me, if it went wrong, the people screwed it up. They screwed it up. So now he's saying what Eric's been saying. This did not come from a wet market. They've been eating and doing this for centuries. And just last year, boop, we're going to come something out of it. It doesn't work like that. But when we know that the Chinese have been fiddling around and playing games for political, military, who knows? But this is all very likely, very probable that now The fraud says, yeah, I'm not convinced this came just naturally. Says the guy that gave them the money to create it. So I want to play this next clip from Fauci. This was three months after the no masks. Play it.
2: Months or so or two or three ago, when people were saying, you don't really need to wear a mask. The reason for that is that we were concerned, the public health community, and many people were saying this, were concerned that it was at a time when personal protective equipment, including the N95 masks and the surgical masks, were in very short supply.
1: Dr. Anthony Fauci, who basically just admitted the government lied to us.
0: So again, that was just three months after the first clip I paid you about masks or common sense. We don't need them. They cause more problems or not. So now he's saying that I had to lie to you back in March because we didn't have enough masks. No, who didn't have enough masks? Certain hospitals, medical institutions, right? That's what he's saying. Well, whose fault is that? Is that not their job? It's like not having enough oxygen. I have, when I barbecue, I have multiple grills, but I do have one propane. I don't have one propane tank. I have two. Do you know why? Because when I run out, I want to hook up the next one in less than 30 seconds and continue on. And then I go fill the empty one within the next week. That's what adults do. Now, the people in charge of hospitals that aren't doing this isn't my problem. So what? If we, but Eric, if we don't have any medical people to take care of us, what are we going to do? Um, we find a way. You put a shirt over your face. Have grandma knit you something. I don't care what you got to do. So his spin is, I didn't want to cause hysteria. But he caused hysteria by changing his mind all day long. Remember shortages. Have you ever seen anything like the butt wipe shortage? I mean, for those old enough, maybe in the 70s when you're like, well, it can only go every other day and odd days, even days for gasoline and stuff. That's the only other time I can think of. But you remember how absurd that was? People were hoarding toilet paper. Well, we didn't want that to happen with the masks. We didn't need to wear them. There was no reason to do it. Medical people want to wear it fine. Again, I've told you, I'm walking everywhere. I walked into a grocery store that's like been fanatical about it. My son and I just walked right in, no mask. We went in and did our stuff. We stopped. We talked with a gentleman wearing a mask. And he wanted to talk about barbecuing and meat and stuff like that because, you know, I'm that kind of a guy. And uh, so we talked for like 10 minutes. No, people are coming in between. Excuse me, pardon me. Nobody says, put your mask on. Well, no, who got sick? Nobody. The ill, the elderly, the extremely overweight, those with compromised immune systems. That's what this went after. I'm going to give you a little clue. Everything out there that can get you sick. Like flu will go after and hurt people like that every day of the week. It's just the way life works. Yes, there's exceptions. This guy, he's a muscle-building health fanatic, but he had a weakness. He's probably doing steroids. You don't know. But he compromised his system, and he got sick. It could have been just genetic, that he just doesn't have an immune system that can do anything. It's just natural selection. This happens all the time. We just forgot about cancer in the last year. We just forgot about the flu for an entire year plus. Just forget about all that. It was all COVID. People shot in the head, died of COVID. Run over by a truck, died of COVID. It's just pathetic. So much so, remember, and we're going to talk about this next segment, but social media corporations have been censoring and have felt this empowerment and entitlement and ability to decide what you can and cannot say. Total violation of your First Amendment. And they say, well, it's on our platform. You made your platform public. Then shut up. But they went out there and said they're reversing their course on censoring COVID claims that it came from China. (gasps) Remember, they were slamming people and, and canceling people and dropping everybody. You can't say that because if anybody knows about science, it's Facebook and Twitter. People making 15, 20 bucks an hour that have no education whatsoever, barely got out of high school, are just reading stuff going, click, click, click. I don't like you. I don't like you. This is fun. This is really, I just get to click things. This is great. Look at the power I have. I'm destroying people. <laughs> this is insane. Like I said, I haven't been on Facebook, I don't know what it is now, four or five years. It's been forever. <laughs> don't miss it for a second. It's so stupid. It's just another means of mind control, in my opinion. They decide what you get to read. Not you. They do. Until someone like Fauci in the Wall Street Journal, and I was telling you about the news agency down in Australia, and Eric says, yeah, this didn't come from a wet market. Oh, my bad. You're bad? You should all delete your Facebook accounts, except for the LUA page. Keep that. I don't know how you do that, but you do that. It's just stupid. We empower these people. We give them the control over us. And we just go, okay, just do it. And then you all get mad about it. Oh, I can't believe they do this. What are you doing about it? Change it. I got to like this. I got to put a picture up of something so somebody will like me. I like you, okay? You're liked by a lot of people. But you do dumb things like I do dumb things. It happens. Let it go. Take your power back from these fools, and don't let them do this to you anymore. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram page is at listen underscore up underscore America underscore. And our Facebook page is L-U-A podcast all together L U a podcast on Facebook. So please join the community. Tell us what you think and uh, share with all your friends and let them know how awesome we are. I hope you guys enjoy the production quality as much as we enjoy putting it together. We try to find ways to take cultural relevancy in our music and song and and video and so forth and try to bring it into a a little fun to bring up the next topic, you know, with COVID time and you got Patrick Starr, you got Clint Eastwood with with Go Ahead Make My Day. And then uh, this is what we're going to do for now when it comes to entertainment. It's Entertainment time. Avengers! Assemble. So, uh, those that know me, I am a huge TV film buff. I uh, I know more than I ever should. Thank you, 70s, 80s baby growing up. You know, it just is what it is. You know, when it comes to music, I'm a huge fan of music I've got on my Spotify account. It's just off topic, but I just like sharing it. I created a, a playlist. You can do that, right? So you go on, you create your own playlist, pull music from anything. So when Dylan and I, my youngest, went on a roadie, 2,700 miles in like five and a half days to go visit some schools during COVID, we're cruising the backwoods of Nevada, eastern Oregon, we would abstain a night after 800 plus miles on one day in Caldwell, Idaho. Then we cruised the next day, which was another five hours plus up to Spokane for one stop. Then we had to work our way back towards the Portland area in a day. And then from there, we stayed a couple of days. Then we had to head down the five, stop in Redding. And this whole time, there's not like reliable radio. So I put together a... At the time it was 12, it's now up to like 14 and a half hours of hit classics from the fifties to now. And I took one song from either a band or singer that was like their best or my favorite. And I put it in there. And then in some instances, like a uh, journey, right? I've got, don't stop believing. Of course you do. But then I also put a Steve Perry song in there. Oh, Sherry, because I love that song. So, like, Sammy Hagar's in there twice. He's in there with Van Halen, he's in there by himself, and so forth. But it's just one. So I've got things like Frank Sinatra. And then I got Marvin Gaye. And then I got Metallica. And then I got Michael Jackson. And then I've got, I think I've got Culture Club in there. And then I go Tears for Fears. And then I go Five Finger Death Punch. And then I'm over to Shine Down. I'm all over the place, baby. I'm bringing Everything. And it was the best roadie sound thing ever. Um, if you want to know more, just hit us up on our social media. I'll give you the the where to find the the playlist on Spotify. But it's super fun. And uh, I've created one with just TV shows. That's where I'm going with this. And then I did one with movie theme. So TV show movie themes. So it's like, come and knock on my door. We are waiting for you. Right? So Three's Company. So it's in there. I put it in there. Couldn't help it. So I just had so much fun doing that. So with all this and cancer culture, other than just shredding this country politically, it's doing it on the entertainment level. I think it's pretty clear. We've got Chris Rock versus Seth Rogen right now, and both having an opinion about cancel culture. And for those who are like you know, don't know me or listening to this, and you've just you know this guy's such a racist. Okay, again, I love Marvin Gaye. The guy was awesome. Black musicians, black actors, black comedians. Uh, if I was racist, I wouldn't like to listen to any of that stuff. Chris Rock, as a stand-up comedian, is one of the funniest of all time. And he'll be the first one to tell you, I ain't no Eddie Murphy. I am no Eddie Murphy. So that's why he doesn't act. Except when Adam Sandler says, Bro, I need color in my film. So he draws grown-ups and has his little parts in there and so forth. And he's funny because he's Chris Rock being... Chris Rock. Now, Seth Rogen is a doofus, pot-headed, white muttonhead who has no talent. He's not funny. Now, he's in some of the funnier movies, but if I was to blindfold you and just play clips of Seth Rogen from the movies, it's the same guy. It's just Seth Rogen. He doesn't play a character. He thinks Seth Rogen is a character. And that's why when 40-Year-Old Virgin came out, and I believe, I mean, for Steve Carell and me, that was my introduction to Steve Carell. And Seth Rogen was in there. And if you haven't seen it, I don't think you can watch it these days because uh, cancel culture would cancel the whole damn movie. I don't think there's anything in there. Seth Rogen played Seth Rogen, like I said, a misogynistic, um, he entered a woman's home without permission. And then presumably had sex with her, so he may have raped her in her own tub because she was intoxicated and so forth. But when you watch it, it's the movie is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Just straight up hilarious. But Seth Rogen is on all these movies with these same guys, you know, Paul Rudds and and whatnots, And you just go and, you know, James Franco, those guys are buddies, but they're not friends anymore because James is in trouble. I, you know, and if you don't know, he's being accused by like everyone, woman in Hollywood for being a pig shocker. This is Eric shocked face that a male actor in Hollywood would do such horrible things. It's been going on forever, but they sit there and they're talking about cancel culture. And Chris Rock is saying, if this continues, entertainment will just become absolutely dreadful and boring. Because everyone's afraid to talk. Anyone's afraid to express an opinion, a thought, just to be funny, to make fun, because that's what you do, of everybody. And many comedians out there, Chris Rock is one, Bill Burr is another. There's hundreds out there that make fun of everybody. Doesn't matter race, doesn't matter gender, doesn't matter age, doesn't matter about nothing. I'll make make fun of you, make fun of you, make fun of you, make fun of you, make fun of you. Then you got comedians like, George Lopez used to be kind of funny, but became super political, super political. And now all he does is attack white people. That makes him racist, right? He doesn't attack everybody. He just goes after white people. You're like, okay, it's exhausting. So Seth Rogen said, I guess in uh, in a rebuttal, that comedians should stop complaining about cancel culture or just leave comedy altogether. The actor made the comments during an interview with Good Morning Britain on uh, Tuesday of earlier this week. He was asked to comment on controversial jokes from his past movies. There are certain jokes that for sure have not aged well, but I think that's the nature of comedy. I think conceptually those movies are sound and I think there's a reason they've lasted as far as they have. Okay, so just so you understand, his history is totally fine. But other histories not. I mean, Blazing Saddles. You could never make that movie today. People may go to the studio and burn it down. One of the funniest freaking movies ever made. And if you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. You gotta go in there with no expectations and no, you know, take your, your need to rage and be insulted by anything and just put it away. Don't go to a movie or a comedy club to be offended. Go in there to be entertained. You may not find it entertaining, and you'll find out, you know what? Mel Brooks isn't my cup of tea. Then that's that's your right, that Mel Brooks is my cup of tea, and many millions of people love the man. Young Frankenstein, but blazing saddles. No way that gets made. And you know what? It does stand the test time because the whole point of the movie was to make fun of Hollywood and its racism coming from a Jewish man who found it to be repugnant but found a way to mock the whole thing and all of them. And most of them didn't even get it because they were so stupid and thought it was so funny. But you can't sit there and cancel everything. If your goal is, I'm going to a comedy show today and I'm going to go see fill in whoever. And he better be funny and he better not say anything about women and he better not talk about black people and he better not talk about gays or what, or, or else I'm going to throw my shoe at him or her. If that's your intent, when, if that's how you set up your checklist before you go to an event or movie or something like that, you shouldn't go because everybody else wants to see and hear and listen and laugh, relax, pointing out the obvious Cliche stuff about races and sexes and gen- so just what we do. And it's funny. If you don't think it's funny, I dread to even ask, but what is funny? Well, you Republican racists are funny, you scumbags. That's not funny. That's just hateful. That's different. You're, you're confusing the two. And I don't even know how you do it, but you did. But, you know, you've got, remember I've, I've talked about, and it'll be ongoing, corporal autocracy. You've got these media monsters buying everything, right? HBO went and made its big requirement. And then you got Disney doing its thing and grabbing up more and more product. Now you got Amazon goes out and buys MGM Studios. They now have all their movies and all the future movies, all of these companies, HBO, Disney, Amazon, Netflix, they all now control everything. And you see the crap they put out. Every one of those services creates a crappy show based on what? Political correctness. To destroy anything traditional. And the shows last a year and get canceled after eight or ten episodes. Boop, we're not bringing that back. Why? Well, because in the end, they want to make money and nobody's watching the crap. Good for you, America. And good for you, world. To stand up and go, this is garbage. Moving on. But you got shows like Cobra Kai. Great show. You know, the concept of grabbing uh, a movie franchise from the 80s and moving it 25 years or something like that into the future and having Daniel-san and Johnny antagonistic against each other. Like, who's good guy? Who's bad guy? Because every episode you're going, I don't know. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you need to because season four is coming up. And hopefully there'll be a season five, but the talk from Netflix is because it's traditional and there's, you know, normal traditional relationships. We'll see how long it lasts because that's totally against everything. You know, that th- we must speak for today. It's absurd. I mean, you got commercials. I just watched I'm watching. I try to do not watch commercials. And if I can fast forward, I fast forward, but there was a commercial on from credit karma. And I'm looking and I'm like, and they're at a dining room table. They being, there's a black man who seems to be a little older, but not much. And a white dude sitting on one side of the table. And across the table, you got a white girl and a black kid. And the impression is, this is a married couple with their family sitting at the table, having dinner, talking about improving their credit. This happens all the time. If you look at all the pharmaceutical commercials out there. It's all gay and lesbian, and then they got to throw in color. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't have a part in this. That's fine. But they should not be 98% of the media. I'll give you a number. I didn't make it up. This is from the U.S. Census Bureau, okay, from 2019. 62 million traditional couples are married. Okay, 62 million traditional couples married. That's boy, girl that's traditional, compared to not quite 500,000 same-sex. But all this marketing, all this TV, all of this film is going to be pushing for the 500,000. And you watch it, and I'm going, wait, what? When Beauty and the Beast came out a couple years ago, I refused. I'm like, I'm not going to go watch it. A, I've already seen it. It was animated, and it was amazing. But we got to, you know, Disney, we got to take what's old, we got to make it new, and we got to change it, because, you know, it was so whatever, it was wrong then, but it's, I'm going to make it right now, because 62 million people, screw you, but I want your money, and then 500,000 people, I love you, and I hope you come, and it's funny, most of the people in that 500,000 are as offended by all this as we are. You can ask. There was an article just the other day my wife was reading and telling me about. This was an older woman. She's like 60, 70 years old. She has been openly gay for like 50 years of her life. And she is overly offended by this obsession of media, corporations, going out there and, and using, using the gay and lesbian and all that to make more money. She's offended. Most of these people seem to be greatly offended by it. They're just people. That's all. They're just people. What they do behind closed doors is their business, not yours. But no, media's going to push this in front of you, and we're going to see it all day long. So I bring up Beauty and the Beast because there was a minor character in the original that was still a minor character but was played by Jack Black. It was the suck-up guy to Gaston. You know, no one fights like Gaston, right? Jack Black, because he's an actor who plays just Jack Black. Except in Tropic Thunder, he was really good in that. <laughs> but he plays a character that they decide we're going to make him gay for Gaston. Well, I've seen the movie, like I said originally. That guy was just a lackey, making him gay. What did that do for the story? It, did it, it didn't change the middle, the meaning, the outcome. It didn't change anything. They just had to put a gay character in there for you to see it. Because the intent, in my opinion, is the media world, these movie studios, TV's. We have to put a gay character of whatever in everything because they think, well, they're everywhere. It's a promotional thing, right? We must. Dest- in my opinion, I believe they want to destroy the traditional family. They've done it to the black community. I mean, look what they've done. They've destroyed it. Government will take care of your family. You don't need the old man, and the old man just goes and makes families everywhere else because he knows whatever government's gonna take care of it. Not my problem. And it's just a generalized statement. But that's, that's a reality that has and did take place. And now we're doing it again. One of my favorite shows just got canceled. Tim Allen is a sitcom god. A very talented comedian. A very talented man that made some movies that are going to last forever. Home Improvement was on for 10 years. Last Man Standing on for another 10 years. There isn't another person on the planet that has had two successful sitcoms that lasted 20 years, even close. No one. Bill Cosby, Cosby Show. Second thing, oh, uh, yeah, canceled. I Love Lucy. And then that Lucy O'Ball Show, uh, canceled. You can look at them all. Some, like Jerry Seinfeld, went, mic drop, top that, because Seinfeld was just awesome. But Tim Allen is a traditional man that doesn't apologize, It is flawed, but real and loving, and he comes out with these great shows. If you are a younger family, and you've not seen Home Improvement, stream Home Improvement. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, 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 oh. But Last Man Standing got canceled. First it was on ABC, they canceled it because, you're not politically correct, and you like Trump, and ah! Uh. So Fox and people like me wrote... And said, somebody pick it up. This is nonsense. Mind you, it was one of the highest rate sitcoms, like going by a mile. It dominated its time slot. You, get rid of it. It's sending the wrong message. What we want is modern family. I never watched it. You know, I'll bounce around and it's on USA or whatever, and I'm like, uh, moving on. Because they got everything in there. We got the gay guys that are going to adopt kids. And we got the old white man that's married to a woman half his age that happens to be Latina. And they got, it's just, it's just a huge convoluted. And of course, the traditional people are the are the whack jobs. I'm like, right, they're the whack jobs. But that's that's the mission. That's the marketing. That's the message they want sent out. So they basically canceled Tim Allen at Fox. And a bunch of excuses began because basically the rights was owned by ABC and Disney and they had to pay ABC Disney so much money still. And they didn't want to, but in the end, they're just like, it was a headache. The show last man standing was nowhere near a conclusion. It was getting stronger and stronger. Its ratings were up this year, 32% over monster years prior. Everybody was watching. That's not good enough. We got to get rid of it. And if you saw the finale, it was a great episode that talked about basically his truck gets stolen, but truck was another word for show. So if every time he said truck, you just put in show that was the message. And they were all, the entire cast was authentically upset, devastated. Oh yeah. There's a black guy on the show. There was an Asian girl on the show. You know, it was fun. And is that not what we want from our entertainment fun? Now, Hey, I'm just like, I like to be scared and I like it, but fun. Who doesn't want to just turn on the show on a Thursday night and go, I just need a little laugh? And you laugh, and you feel good. Laughter is supposed to be one of those things that helps the body and the mind. But yeah, they dropped on like a bad habit. But you got a man to play the Santa Claus. That movie will be played forever, the first one. The second one's all right. But the first one, when Scott Kelvin becomes the Santa Claus, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful, it's a tradition. We always play it in my home, in the days leading up to Christmas. Always. Toy Story. One, two, and three. I don't count for. Never went to saw four. Four was a money grab and a game, and I'm like, nope. My Toy Story story ended when Andy gave the girl next door the toys. Tim Allen, if you didn't know, was Buzz Lightyear. To infinity and beyond. That's awesome. What What a... What a gift he gave us all with just those two alone and then having 20 years of sitcoms that are just great. They're just great. And I hope he comes back and does a third. I'd, be, I'd go to a Netflix or somebody like that and says, this is what I want to do, and this is what we're going to do, and this is how much you're going to pay me, and we're going to have – watch. Millions of Americans that don't have Netflix will jump on it to watch Tim Allen. Maybe he does a couple of comedy specials over the next five, 10 years, you know, follow up to men are pigs. If you've never seen Tim Allen do stand-up, just look it up. But this is all amazing stuff. But it makes you wonder what is it that these corporations and the marketing is trying to accomplish? I have my opinion, and I want you guys to think about it. What do you think they are doing and why they're doing it? What is the end game? Avengers reference. Look at sports. Sports are dying. Nobody's watching the NBA. Professional wrestling, which isn't being watched by anyone, they'll be the first to tell you. Their ratings are way below it was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Way down, like 80%, is beating the NBA. That should tell you something. It's not like 40 million people or something like that were watching wrestling. You've got about a million people watching wrestling right now. That's what the rating says. And they're dominating the NBA, which has got a couple hundred thousand people. It's like CNN numbers. It's horrible. Major League Baseball, ratings are down. People are pissed about the politics of Georgia and all that nonsense and everything else and Black Lives Matter. We're tired of it. Football. Football is barely hanging on, but I haven't watched a game in two years. Two seasons, basically. Haven't. I told you, I caught the last, like, ten minutes of Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl because my son came in. I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of fun to watch. That's it. I watch college sports until they ruin that. I watch hockey, I watch UFC. That about it. I'm looking at my producer. I don't really like boxing. It's too. Uh, he said, "What you like boxing?" I said, "I used to like boxing, but uh, it's so corrupt now that it's just blatant." And I'm just have no patience for spending a nickel on shows. I mean, you got some. I don't even know who this guy is. This guy Paul. Some is he an internet idiot or something like that? That's gonna fight Floyd Mayweather? Like whatever. I don't even care. But what I will do, as I I was showing my older son. I think I mentioned this, older clips when Marvin Hagler passed away. I said, you want to see? Go back. Hey, let me show you some fights of, you know, it could be Ali and Frazier or things like that, but Hagler, Hearns, or Hearns and Leonard. And I go, watch the old fights when guys, like, fought. And you still had those moments you went, uh, That's when, like, the fraud became more public. Now, I'd been going on a boxing fair where people paid to take dives. I get all that. But I'm not a big fan of boxing anymore at all. So I watch NASCAR. Forgot about that. I do watch golf. I watch UFC and I watch hockey. That's it. Those are my sports. That's plenty. That's plenty. And then the college main sports. But sports is killing itself on purpose. Why? I mean, what is the end game here? Avengers reference. I don't know. It doesn't make any. I'm a I'm a money guy. I, I look at numbers and I'm going. This is how we make more. And they're all acting like, well, this is how you make less. Is that the actual plan? Because it's working. All these all these big TV deals for football and all sports that, you know, Fox News paid like, I don't know, billions of dollars for the next 10 years or something. When that contract comes up in 10 years, football better fix itself because if it continues this, they're going to get themselves about a million bucks. And then all those big fat salaries are going in the toilet. And I'm going to laugh. So back to... TV and film culture. Okay. And I just want to give everyone kind of a history lesson, a trip down memory lane. So, TV comes around in the late 40s, 50s, and 60s, starts more programming, but we only had the three channels and so forth. And it was very wholesome and simple. And, you know, it was all new. So, production was what it was. My wife just makes so much fun of when I watch classic Star Trek. And uh, I told her, you can't look at it that way. I go, but then I'll put on the Twilight Zone. And she's like, oh. And she sits down and she's like, this is awesome. I mean, like, Twilight Zone in black and white, just turn it on. They are amazing. But you get into the 70s, right? The political climate is changing on the planet, right? We've got the Nixon thing and Vietnam and all this is going on. The media, remember I told you in 68, kind of died. So everything's really changing. So now we're in the 70s. And an amazing show came out that really pushed it, took it to the next level. It was called All in the Family. One of my favorite shows of all time, Archie Bunker and Edith and the Meathead. Archie! Shut up, you. I just, it was a great show. And it touched on social issues in a traditional family setting. It was basically having a conversation with America from all points of view. And I like those conversations because it's just honest and it was funny. And there were some that were sad and yeah, everybody wanted to punch meathead cause he was a meathead, you know, but they would, they would try to portray Archie as a racist, but then they would like not treat him. He walked the line. That was the amazing thing about Carol O'Connor. He walked the line as an actor that some people go, well, I think he's racist. But people go, no, he wasn't. And It wasn't a solid either way. Archie just wasn't an educated man that believed something but had a hard time expressing it. And then you had an overly educated idiot who would read into everything instead of just listening. But you went to all in the family. And then during the 70s, I don't know if you all know this, but black TV just exploded. You had Sanford and Son, Good Times, What's Happening, The Jeffersons, I watched all these shows when I was growing up. They were amazing. My favorite was Good Times with, with JJ, Jimmy Walker. Kid, Dino A traditional family, didn't matter to me, and it didn't matter to anyone that they were black. They had a father who was dedicated to his family, Want him to get educated, didn't want them working near as hard as he was and had to just to have an apartment in the crappy side of Chicago, fighting everything and trying to keep his kids out of gangs and all that stuff. And it dealt with all of that. It was awesome. It was funny. It was sad. I mean, they, they ended up killing the dad off because he ended up leaving to go to Alaska. He like left the family and would just send checks so that they could live better, to have a safer world but they kill his character off. and I think it had to do with contract TV negotiation stuff. Always does. Sanford and son, edgy, fun, father, son, the Jeffersons, right? The American dream for black people. Sherman Helmsley, George Jefferson, the dry cleaner guy moving. He's got a penthouse in the sky, raising a son. You know, they had a mixed race couple across the hallway. That was edgy, but it, didn't bother anybody. Everyone's just like, more, more, more. That show was on for like nine years. You know, what's happening? That's with the, the kids in the inner city of LA. Dee always had her little, I always forgot the name of it now, but it was like, everybody had one back in the day. It was a a word game or whatever. She treated it like it was a calculator. She was always doing crazy math to pull the scheme and get people to pay, you know, because she was the young one and the, the older guys that, that hung out at the, the diner. That, I think her name was Shirley. God, I remember all this stuff. Um, it was fun. And it was edgy because they had to deal with things like gangs, you know? And that was the message. Like, we can get, you can do better. You can get out of this. You can fight it. You can resist. It was huge. The 80s come around. You know, things got a little more subtle and, and I want to say tame, but a little more uh, 50s and 60s-ish, you know, with all the sitcoms of, the Cosby Show and Family Ties and Growing Pains and things like that. Even like the um, dramas weren't too edgy. We had Miami Vice. I guess that was kind of edgy, dealing with cocaine and things like that. Um, but you had some sitcoms that were, you know, Cheers, classic. Night Court, pretty good, fun. So there was some out there, but uh, it kind of mellowed out. But there's things like Dukes of Hazard comes along. And the iconic Daisy Dukes. Everybody knows what a Daisy Duke is even to this day and have never even seen the show and don't even know what Catherine or Bach butt looks like in short shorts. I'll never forget. But that's how the 80s were a little more mellow. Kind of like, a, it's, you know, Reagan came into office and remember, he won landslides. So that traditionalism of America was coming back so they put it on TV. Apparently people want that. That's the difference between now and then. It just blows my mind. But then you get to the nineties and things started to change. Some say for the better, some say for worse. Now I'm not a prude by any means. I've seen all these shows I'm about to mention, but I want you to follow the history of TV and going edgy. In the nineties, it was NYPD Blue. I love the show. Andy Sipowicz was the lead character played by Dennis Franz. You know, yeah, Jimmy Smits was in there. Ricky Schroeder was in there for a little bit. Then you had the kid from Saved by the Bell that played Zach. He's in it at the end. And uh, David Caruso was the first cop. He wanted more money and all that. So they, they wrote him out after like three episodes in the second season. But the whole thing about NYPD Blue that was edgy is A, they had a curse word of substance in every episode. But more so, nudity was brought to primetime TV. And if you remember... Reactions from, as they say, flyover country, the Bible Belt, things like that was calling ABC and you got to cancel, take the show off, oh my God, because they showed a woman's butt and they showed a man's butt. That was the thing. And it was huge. So we went from Archie to Tame, now we're seeing a man's butt on TV for like three, four seconds. Outrage. It was a leap. And that was the point, right? We're going to do something a little more. They did it. And they rode with it. And it was very successful. The show was on like 12 years. I loved it. I've seen every episode. My kids, it was replaying on a channel in high def. And I said, boys, we watched the whole thing again. And um, they're huge fans. It was a great show. Then we go to the 2000s, 90s, 2000s, like the end and the beginning. The Sopranos. Another amazing show. Now we have the violence and the sex being ratcheted up. Granted, it was on HBO, but HBO was a TV, you know, they got in the TV business. Sopranos won Emmys and Golden Globes all the time. Show was off the hook. Never seen it? I'm telling you, you need to watch it. It's If you like Godfather and Casino and all the gangster things out there, you will love the Sopranos. Then we get to the late 2000s and the early 2010s. And a show on FX popped up, had to outdo Sopranos. So what do they do? Sons of Anarchy. And those that know me know, amazing show. Storytelling like you've never seen. Violence on TV like you have never seen or could imagine. My brother is the one who got me on that, by the way. So that's all on him. I think it was like two seasons into it. He's like, hey, you, we he and I traveled a lot in sales and so forth. And he's like, hey, have you seen? I'm like, no. Nah. He goes, oh, you got to check it out or whatever on Wednesday nights or whatever it was. You got to see it. I'm like, okay. So I watched, uh, they used to play like two episodes, like last week's and this week's, kind of thing. And I'd watch it and I'd watch it. And I told my wife, we got to get this show and find it. So we were watching like the end of season two, and the beginning of season three, while watching one and two to get caught up. So that we could continue on. And we just religiously never missed it. We got tons of friends into it. Everybody loved the show. Not one person said, ugh, but the violence. That's the one thing we always commented on was either the guy that played Jax and his butt was like, because he was having sex with some crow eater, as they called it. (laughs) You got to see his butt like every season. And the girl's like, ooh. But the violence. Everyone's like, ooh, did you see the fork in the... Yeah, I saw the fork in the head. <laughs> did you see him burn off the... Yes, yeah, I am him burn the tattoo off. Uh, they kept pushing the envelope. Which led us to HBO again in the, just these last 10 years. Game of Thrones. Now, I've read some of the books. And the books are fascinating because of the way they're written. Um, every chapter is the name of a person and it's their perspective on what's going on. So you've got to really pay attention to details. The show... I mean, the first episode, you got a brother and a sister having sex. Well, there you go. You just topped everything else. And then you get the violence and then you get the the little girls being raped. On the, I mean, just, it just keeps going. And you're just like, okay, did the guy just stick his thumbs on his eyes and pop his head like is it? Yep. And it just kept going. And this is the thing I think is sad is I'm personally becoming numb to it. And that bothers me because I'm like, well, what the hell is going to come next? How do you, every time you think, well, how could they go? And they find a way. And I think I've hit my threshold. Uh, The first like three or four seasons of Game of Thrones was actually very good because they had the books. And they followed followed the books really well. And then they just started making things up. And um, it was rushed and not thought through. You could tell somebody else wrote this. And it was garbage. The last, people are screaming, you got to reshoot the whole last season. Dude, you need to reshoot like the last three seasons because it was garbage. I went from watching it live to yeah, I'll get to it eventually. And I did watch it streaming. I'm like, okay, I'm over it. So that's where I'm at. I've hit a point in my life where I'm like, I can't even imagine what the hell's coming next and I have no desire to see what's coming next. But that's kind of the thing about TV and media. Now the political correctness is being played. So I'm concerned, slightly curious, but more concerned about what are they gonna do now? Cause you kind of see the footprint going. I don't want to see it, and I bet most of the people out there in this country and world don't want to see this crap either.
1: We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by God, you know this, you know
0: chairman Joe administration. That's our new cue for him. Everything is so we must talk about it right now. And why am I yelling? I don't know. So Tom Cotton is one of my favorite senators and will likely be a future president of the United States. And he is sitting down with the AFT. Uh, i sorry. ATF nominee chipman. And he is asked a simple question, sir please tell me and define what an assault weapon is because you've been open about wanting to ban them. We write the laws, you enforce them. Tell me, what is an assault weapon? Senator, um,
2: an assault weapon would be, in in the context of the question you asked, what Congress uh, defines it as.
3: So you're asking us to ban assault weapons. We have to write legislation. Can you tell me what is an assault weapon? How would you define it if you were the chair, the head of the ATF? How have you defined it over the last several years uh, as your role as a gun control advocate? Um,
2: Senator, um, if I'm confirmed as ATF director, um, you know, my recollection is the only um, um, process by, by which ATF is weighed in is that I know there's a demand letter three program which requires multiple reports, uh, multiple sale reports on the southwestern border. And ATF in that program has defined an assault rifle as any semi automatic rifle capable of accepting a detachable magazine um, above the caliber of 22, which would include a 223, which is you know, largely the so, AR 15 round.
3: So you, you believe that every weapon that takes a detachable magazine that can take a 22 round or, or 5.56 in the military parlance should be defined as an assault weapon?
2: Um, Let me clarify. Uh, What I believe I just said is any semi-automatic rifle. um, Okay, any
3: semi-automatic rifle.
2: Um, What?
3: That's the definition. A detachable magazine that takes a 5.56 or 22 round should be defined as an assault weapon.
2: Senator, um, you asked me um, if ATF um, had uh, used this term And I was sharing with you my knowledge of a program in which ATF has defined this term. Um, And it is in the demand letter three program. And that rifle is a semi-automatic rifle capable of accepting a detachable magazine with a round greater than a 22 caliber. And in those cases, firearms dealers on the Southwest border are required to make a multiple sale report to ATF.
3: I'm, I'm amazed that that might be the definition of assault weapon, that would basically cover every single modern sporting rifle in America today. Um, Let me put it this way. If I wanted to buy an assault weapon and I walked into Walmart or Cabela's or some other firearm dealers, and I looked up on the wall where they were labeling their weapons, would there be a label on the wall for assault weapon?
2: Um, I don't believe, um, Senator, and thank you for this question, that the firearms industry has used the term assault rifle in their marketing um, since there was a ban on it. Uh, it was after that that they changed uh, their use of the term assault rifle to the modern sporting rifle.
3: Well, so I've been in Walmarts and I've been in Cabela's, and I'm saying that you can find sections for, for pistols or handguns or for shotguns or for rifles because those are actual kinds of firearms, I think our exchange here illustrates that there really is no such thing as an assault weapon. That is a term that was manufactured by liberal lawyers and pollsters in Washington to try to scare the American people into believing that the government should confiscate weapons that are wildly popular for millions of Americans to defend themselves and their families and their
0: homes. That's a man who wants to run a government agency for you. Um, um, um. That's all I heard. Every weapon. Um, um. There is no such thing as assault rifle. They are just rifles. That are, some are black and look mean. But all the rifles, everything on those walls that he's talking about, that people use for self-defense, hunting, or both, that's everything. And if it has a magazine, well, guess what? Semi-automatic handguns which are used for almost every mass shooting, has a clip. And the only ones that like to use 22s to kill somebody are gangsters. That was a thing in the day. Small little handgun with 22 round. They just walk up behind somebody, put it to their head, and pull the trigger. The bullet would enter one side, but it wasn't strong enough. It would rattle around. That's how you whack them. Two to the head, pop out. So he wants to ban everything. That's Chairman Joe's plan. Ban them all. And that was Cotton calling him out saying, yeah, just so we're clear, you want me to create a law to ban all guns. Good luck. Well, the same Senator Tom Cotton came out and asked him about crimes that he's supposed to enforce. And he talks about that when you fill out the form to apply for a firearm, your are questions on there that under the consequence of jail, you must tell the truth. And if you lie, you could go to jail. And the ATF is to enforce that. So a certain somebody named Hunter Crackhead Biden filled out a form. I've told you about this story. He's admitted to doing this. It asks if you have any addictions to alcohol, drugs, and so forth. And he's like, nope. But he's going around selling a book. And his laptop alone shows him smoking the crack and getting the new teeth and the whole thing. And he's out there oh, yeah, I smoke it all the time. I even had a gun. I lied on the form. He even admitted I lied on the form. And then I lost the gun. Then I had to call, and, you know, they found the gun and da-da-da-da. da, 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 da. That is a jailable offense. You go to jail for that. So he was asked, Mr. Chipman, was asked by Senator Tom Cotton, you going to handle that? You going to prosecute and look into that?
3: Uh, Mr. Chipman, you testified to Senator Lee that it's a serious felony to lie on a background check application. I agree. Uh, the ATF form, 4473, asks, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to any drug or uncontrolled substance? If an applicant checks yes, they cannot purchase a firearm. On March 25th, Politico reported that Hunter Biden, President Biden's son, applied for a handgun that was later thrown in the trash and had to be recovered by Secret Service agents in 2018. Politico reported that Hunter Biden completed this background check and answered no to the question of whether he was an unlawful user of or addicted to any drug. Hunter Biden has since published a book and gone on a nationwide book tour, conducting numerous interviews, stating that he was, in fact, very much addicted to drugs at the same time that he purchased this firearm. This would mean that by his own admission, Hunter Biden lied on that form and, by your earlier testimony, committed a serious felony. Should Hunter Biden be prosecuted for breaking this law?
2: Senator, uh, thank you for your question. Um, If I'm confirmed as ATF director, it will be my responsibility to enforce all federal laws without political favor. Um, I do not know any factors um, uh, in this particular case, but I am familiar uh, with the press account of it.
3: Well, my understanding is the statute of limitation is only five years, and that this happened in 2018. Mr. Biden is obligated to keep a record of that form for up to five years himself, So this should be a fairly easy case to investigate. Can I get your commitment that if you are confirmed, you will in fact look into this matter and refer it for prosecution if you find that Hunter Biden violated the law? Uh,
2: Senator, um, what I will assure you is that if ATF director, um, I will ensure that all violations of law are investigated and referred. Um, I'm not sure that it has not been investigated.
3: Well, I hope it has and if the facts are as clear cut Uh, as they appear to be based on Mr. Biden's own admission, I would expect to see criminal charges forthcoming. Um, But I would say that when a case is as high profile as this, if there is not an answer for the American people in public, it severely undermines the confidence in our gun, gun laws, as well as the ATF and the Department of Justice if there are not criminal
0: consequences. So you got all that right? The answer is, I'm not doing anything. There may have been an investigation already. And why would I do it again? So you're saying if there's been an investigation and they haven't done anything about it, you're cool with that? Even though this guy's running around? Well, do you know who his dad is? Yeah, that's the thing. We're all aware. Is he, the crackhead, not supposed to be held to a higher standard? See, that's the liberal way. Let's hold everyone to a lower standard. Let's not raise the bar and expectations. Let's lower it so nobody is sad. Everybody gets a trophy. My son is the best smack crack meth smoker ever. He's a criminal. So you talk about banning guns. There's where you start. When you take away Hunter Biden's rights to guns and you put him in jail, then we can start having an honest conversation about the what's and the ways in the house. But you're not going to, so I'm not going to. So you screw me? No, screw you. So now we got some Chairman Joe clips because it's just another week and the babbling potato had something to say. So this first clip, he's talking, I don't even know, rambling. He's talking about the tax rates
1: clip. Oh, well, we can raise the corporate tax rate back to 28%. It was, by the way, 36%. It came down to
0: 28%. So you got that. We got to raise the federal tax to 28. Okay, now it was 36 when Barack Hussein Obama and his little buddy Chairman Joe were in charge. And he lo- and Trump lowered it to 28. Now he wants to raise it to 28. I don't even know. They keep putting him out there though. And uh, he was at the Atlantic Hurricane Center and he was talking about hurricanes? But uh, there's,
1: you know, there to be you know, beginning uh, this effort uh, for 2021 is, uh, I think we've learned a few lessons from last year as well. There's help, we, they're, you know, being there to help uh, clear roads, rebuild uh, main streets, uh, and so that the families can get back to their lives. Uh.
0: So that clip actually came from the White House actual YouTube page, okay? And you need to understand something, that there are 1.9 million subscribers to that page. And that video in 24 hours had 278 thumbs up and 4,200 thumbs down. But this guy won the election. So now we're gonna go to uh, another potato head confusion moment. He's talking about DARPA. And you and I aren't supposed to know what that means but it is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, okay? He's the president. Guy's been in government forever. Trust me, I got a clip. He'll tell you how long he's been doing it. And this is what he says DARPA is.
1: And that is that, you know, there's a thing called DARPA, which is a Defense Applied Application Research. It's an outfit that came up with the internet in the Defense Department, came up with Geo's spacing and uh, a whole range of things that are relate to our security.
2: What are you looking at,
1: you
0: hockey puck? So you get that? The guy just doesn't have a clue. A- A-F-T. DARPA stands for stuff. I don't know. This is the President of the United States. Chairman Joe. You know what? Britney, hit it.
2: I think I did
1: it
0: again. <laughs>
1: My name is Joe Biden, and I'm a car guy. I got — please sit down. I got through high school and college and law school because my dad ran an agency. And uh, I'm delighted to be here. I want to say something else up front. I'm standing here because about 180 years ago, when I first got elected to the Senate, gov, We should go back to a position of the filibuster that existed just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years
0: ago. From the time I got to the Senate 180 years ago. So there you have it. The guy's got to be at least 200 some years old. Maybe, maybe he's a Terminator from the future that was sent back in the past that got bald and then went got hair plugs and then had a crackhead kid that sleeps with his son's widow. I don't even know. But uh, I think Terminator's a little smarter. I'll be back. Next week, be the peace. That's a wrap for this week's episode. Be the peace. Don't let emotion get the best of you. Remember, you are the resistance. God bless you, your family, and America.